Welcome to the Cadet Architects Podcast Show, where we highlight the great teaching and learning that happens at Mill Creek Community Schools in West Central Indiana. All right, welcome to the next episode of the Cadet Architects Podcast. Uh, I am Matt Miller. I am your host. I am the uh, five-star technology e-coach, tech coach, innovative learning specialist, or anything to help teachers, students in any way, shape, or form. And I'm currently here with Miss Allison Paradise. Allison, why don't you introduce yourself? It feels weird to call you Allison, actually. I just it should be P Dice. Right. That, calls you. It is weird when people in this building call me Allison, other than Brandt. Mr. Donovan, oh, rather. Um, hi, I'm Allison Paradise. I have been teaching at Cascade for this is my sixteenth year. This is my nineteenth year teaching total. Um, currently I'm teaching Pre-AP sophomores, twelfth uh, grade English, and AP literature and composition. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And so, what else? Uh, what else do you do outside of your specific classroom? I am also the Spell Bowl coach. I am an academic Super Bowl coach. My team is the English team, of course. I am the junior class sponsor, so in charge of prom. And I teach, or I sponsor, rather, Creative Writing Club and the ASL Club. So that's a whole lot of stuff as well. It is like, indeed. <laughs> I find that that's um, a lot of the teachers here are have a ton of stuff that they do, not only in their classroom, but also building community with all these other uh, ECAs and clubs and stuff. And that's so cool. Um, what is a random, something random or unique about yourself that you would like to share? Well, I have a side business making bread and it is called kneading paradise kneading as in like k-n-e-a-d-i-n-g and i've been doing that for nine years on the side and also i love volkswagen buses oh i've always wanted one of those me too like um what about the new ones like I'm not interested at all. Yeah, I like the old ones. Yeah, the, the new headlights are like lines, a slanty instead of the circular bulbs, which I think is just too iconic to lose. Yeah, that's so, what makes them. Right. right? Yeah. That's cool. I could see you like traveling around. I like, would like to uh, one summer get a, a, a bus and just start driving west. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe well, someday. One other randomness that was going to happen during this, but she took them off. She was currently wearing, um, and I know you can't, you can't hear this or see this, I guess, but she was wearing nice uh, antlers because we're recording uh, the day before or the week before uh, kind of holiday break. And she had nice Jingle Bell antlers, and I was hoping she was going to wear them during this, but she took them <laughs> off, which is fine. <laughs> all right, uh, moving on a little bit. What are, can you tell all the thousands of listeners that we have mm -hmm. i'm not really sure if it's thousands probably more like not very many but anyway tell us about your english classes what makes them kind of fun that type of stuff i really enjoy doing things um along with reading obviously and writing it's very important but i like making memorable moments so for example in my 12th grade class we do the last month of school is adulting month so along with the Indiana State Standards, I incorporate that into life skills that I often hear my former students say, you know, nobody taught me how to do my taxes or change a tire or 
check my oil, things like that. So we do adulting month. It used to be a week and then there was way too much. So it's not quite a month. It's like two and a half weeks, almost three, but it expands every year. And I've even had people from the community ask if we could like open it up and like teach not high school students how to do these things like how to buy a car. Mr. Dugan comes in and talks to the kids about buying cars. So that's probably my favorite thing that we do in English 12. In AP literature, we do a lot of fun projects with the books that we read. And one of the fun projects that we do with the Canterbury Tales by Geoffrey Chaucer is we take a pilgrimage from London, aka my classroom, to Canterbury, aka room 222, uh, much like the characters do in the book. And then we have a giant feast where the kids tell some of the stories from the book that they have to memorize a summary of. They don't have to memorize it word for word like it is in the book, but they're in the, they tell one of the tales of the Canterbury Tales. So those are some of my favorite things. <laughs> I think I weren't. I think last year, I think I walked in on that happening while you were yes, doing it. Yes, you did. You did. I remember that. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? Like, I was like transported to a different realm. Indeed. What it kind of was. Yes, everyone, the, the 1300s. <laughs> everyone was dressed up and it was fun. And I don't remember why I was in there, but I just stopped in and it was it was cool to see because you know, everyone was like in character and talking yes. and it was neat. Um, you mentioned the adulting stuff. I think that's awesome because there's stuff that... I didn't learn that mm-hmm. I didn't learn to laughter or maybe my parents taught me later, but mm-hmm. that's so cool that, and, and super relevant for them because they're learning so much stuff and it's cool that you bring all that in. Um, what about maybe like your why for teaching? You kind of hit on that through your things about experiences and stuff, but is there any specific things that you want to say about that? Like why I started teaching? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I originally was going to go, I went to college for psychology and I was going to be a a psychologist or a counselor or something like that. I quickly learned that that probably wasn't for me. One of my professors told us that you have to listen to the rich people complain about their lives so you can help the people who actually need it. Uh, and I just didn't know if I could do that without punching someone. <laughs> you seem so. not like a violent person. Well, know. then my mask is working. <laughs> uh, and so I tried to figure out what I would do instead. And I thought back to my own time in specifically middle school. Um, I had a teacher who really kind of turned my life around. I was not going down a very good path and uh, making a lot of bad choices. And it was an English teacher who kind of called me out and guided me back to where I needed to be. So I thought I would be a middle school teacher. And I did that for a year and uh, realized those are a special group of people (laughs) who have skills that I do not possess, like patience. (laughs) Uh, So I decided high school was better. And I my first year teaching high school, I taught juniors and I loved it. Like I loved it as much as I hated middle school. I loved high school. So. I really found, accidentally kind of found my place. So well, that's a cool story. Yeah. And it's cool how you found, like, someone took the time to invest in you. And, yes. And do that. 30 second timeout. Miss Paradise was inspired by another teacher. So I asked some of her former students what makes Miss Paradise so great. Here's a co- some of their responses. 
Thank you, Miss Paradise, for being an amazing teacher and always having a smile on your face. Thank you for teaching us, but also caring about each and every student like they're your own and genuinely caring about the well-being of everyone. And thank you for making learning fun and always having a fun way to teach us important information. You're awesome. Love you. Game on. I've seen your classes in the gym, <laughs> in the hallways. I've seen them outside with, uh, I believe it, they were having some sort of sword fight. Indeed, uh, yes. <laughs> I've seen them all over the building, right? Why do, why do you do that? <laughs> what's, what's happening or what's going on there? I, I, I struggled as a student with memorizing things and remembering things. It was the things that we did, like physical things that we did, that I was able to recall on during test time. So I try to make learning also a moving experience. Um, it won't help everyone, but it will help some of the kids that often are left behind, I think, in other classes. So instead of always being in rows in a room, uh, sometimes we push the desks away and we sit on the floor. Sometimes we go to the gym. That's especially helpful in big classes to get the humans away from each other so they aren't as easily distracted. And the kids always want to go outside. So it's a great bargaining tool. <laughs> like, okay, we need to read some Shakespeare. How about we go outside? And all of a sudden, it's not as dreary and droll as just reading it in the classroom. We're outside and we are learning how to fence for the fencing scene, not just reading about fencing, but actually having a, a staged fight with dowel rods. <laughs> with dowel rods. Nice. <laughs> Um, so what, besides that, what, I guess for the listeners out there, the Cascade High School is basically built around the gym. It's one of the coolest mm -hmm. setups of schools. And so um, literally there are classrooms around the top of the gym. So you just walk out and you're in the gym. It's kind of weird um, and awesome because I love basketball too. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so that space is used by Miss Paradise here, but a lot of teachers as well. And it's really neat to see them open up and have that big area uh, for them to do that in. What do, what what do students think when you move classrooms? Because they're you know they're typically in their routine. You know, mm -hmm. I, I was always a back row, corner person. Like when I sat in a room, I just wanted to like see everything. <laughs> but like whenever you change stuff up, what happens to the students? A lot of different things. Some of the kids hate it. They hate. They want to be in their desk, and they want me to teach, and they want to take notes. And they want that to be the extent of their learning. However, that is definitely a minority of students. Most of the students enjoy getting out. And I find that it facilitates discussion, especially among students who are quieter, who aren't going to talk to a room of 27 students, but they will talk to a group that is isolated in the bleachers of six other students. So I get to hear students who probably wouldn't speak up unless coerced to do so. I get to hear them freely express themselves as I'm walking from group to group to group. And I have found that I have learned a lot about those quiet students that often kind of just seep through the cracks. Which kind of goes back to your, you know, your middle school teacher that yes. you know, is kind of getting to know you and stuff. I do see now that you say that. It does seem like there's always, they're always in small groups spaced out, mm -hmm. three or four, um, working together, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, another part of this podcast is to just share like some tech tools or things that you're using in your classroom. 
uh, what is, is there anything that you'd like to share? I know that recently you, you kind of showed the high school um, teachers and the rest of the tech committee uh, showed as well the uh, Adobe Spark. Would you like to talk about any of that? Yes, I, I just really have enjoyed it since you came to my class last year and, and kind of showed the students how to use it. It is just such a fun tool, both for teachers and students to use. It allows me to be more creative and it's very user-friendly. I, you just click and drag and, and change whatever you want to change. And it's, it makes very minimal effort look phenomenal. And I enjoy also the ability for students to make videos and do voiceovers. And all of that is kind of interesting and it's better than make a PowerPoint or here's a poster board. And so it allows them to be creative and it gives them extensive tools to make something look great, not just okay. Like I know you did your, your project with um, your poem thing yes. and it was kind of cool to, to see that and to hear about them making it. And I had to do some video stuff for a couple of students. So I got to see some of their little snippets, which was cool. And then I sent it back to them to use. Uh, but it was cool to see them kind of have to, because really Spark and other tools like that are like, not necessarily the dessert, but it's like what's making it look fancy, but all the work goes in before mm -hmm. that. Right. To, you know, to plan and to separate mm -hmm. everything out. And I think that's where, even though Spark is really cool and amazing, but like the before stuff and the mm -hmm. process of it makes it even better because it helps students, I guess, list things out and plan out. Yes, it definitely takes forethought, especially with that poetry project. I picked um, an, an advertisement that Dodge had during a Super Bowl uh, of a Paul Harvey poem that where they, they break the poem down into images. And I had the students kind of, you know, model after that. And so it worked really well with Spark because of the, the segmented nature of putting the videos together you know, they had to match their words with pictures and it's very cool. All right. One thing that I know that you, I'm not sure if you finished it up or you're still working, but is the, uh, and I'm, I might say this totally wrong, but is it the NaNoWriMo? Yes. You said it correctly. <laughs> yes, well done. Um, and so are you asking like what the challenge yeah, sure. was? What, yeah. what is NaNoWriMo? So November is National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo. For short, and the challenge is to write 50,000 words of a new novel. And most people don't finish a novel in 50,000 words. Uh, an average novel is probably anywhere from 80,000 to 100,000 words, or if it's really big, you know, you know, like way more than that. But most of the time, they're anywhere between 80 and 100,000 words. So you do it all in the month of November. So that averages about out to about. 1600 or so words a day that you have to crank out. So I have done this for years on my own um, because I really enjoy writing. However, I noticed that a lot of my students also enjoyed writing. So I thought, well, I'll just put an announcement on the news and see if anyone will join me after school someday. And the first year I had one and the second year I had three. And this year I had 13. Oh, awesome. So it really exploded. <laughs> a lot of kids who struck me as not creative writing types really succeeded. 
Um, and it was just a lot of fun. We talked, we got together and sometimes we would just listen to music and write the entire time we were together. But a lot of times we would talk through plots and characters and it was just really fun to hear them interact with each other and bounce ideas off of each other. You know, what could I do with this character if I need this to happen? And they gave each other ideas and it was just like a little like brain trust of ideas. It was so much fun. That sounds amazing. I didn't know you did like a club thing. Yes. That's cool. Yes. And that it's grown every year, isn't it? And I love the fact that they're using each other mm-hmm. as, as kind of resources. What what about your novel? What what was yours about? Uh, um, if you want to share. Well, you know, I don't mind. Mine was <laughs> um, about a variety of people who meet at like a support group. It took place in Chicago. And the whole concept of the book was... It was after I had a conversation with a friend of mine about how sometimes we don't ever talk about the bad things in our lives and how those things are often the things that unite us. But we don't know, you know, that, oh, you struggled with that, too. I thought I had nothing in common with you. And there are these revelations when you are willing to be open with others and vulnerable with who you are and how that can bring people who feel like they're very isolated to realize that there is a community of people that they can, they can open up to and learn from and grow with. And so that's what happens with the people, the characters in the book. And actually a couple of summers ago, I did um, interviews with a lot of other people. I just put an all call on Facebook. Is anybody willing to talk to me about something that you think nobody ever talks about? And I got, think over 30 interviews with people, most of whom I was not close with. Uh, And they opened up and shared some pretty deep stuff. And it was such, I felt like so honored (laughs) that they were willing to share that with me. It was very emotionally overwhelming. I will admit to that. I did have to take a few breaks from interviews because it was just so much. It was that therapy thing that I thought I was going to do when I was in college. And, um, but it made great fuel for a novel. And so that's basically what it's about. So it's a lot of different stories that kind of eventually weave together into these people all discovering that they are not alone in their struggles, that there are other people who they thought they had nothing in common with and now they become very very close that's awesome yeah and it's cool that people opened up about that yes but i could see how you said it was it would be overwhelming for you because you're taking on all of that emotions and stuff wow so how will you take that stuff that you've done or any of your nanoramos how do you incorporate any of that into your daily class classes or what you learn or what the student like your student group that did after school how could you take any of that and well, we, we talk a lot about the importance of planning in NaNoWriMo. They've kind of recently added the, the idea of preptober. October <laughs> becomes preptober. And how, you know, flying by the seat of your pants can be fun, but it can be difficult to get to 50,000 words if there is no planning and how the importance of planning. And so I can kind of give them a real life example because I did what NaNoWriMo people call a planster 
or a panster, right? Meaning I fly by the seat of my pants. And it was a terrible novel. It was awful. I didn't finish it and I never intend to. <laughs> like it was the, the worst. So I can kind of bring like, I actually tried this. I did this. It didn't work. Or I did this and it did work. That sort of thing. I feel like some days I'm a panster and some days, you know, like I'm more of a planner. <laughs> Indeed. I vacillate wildly from day to day, sometimes period to period. <laughs> um. Something else personal for you uh, is is blogging. I know you've kind of started that back up. Well, what do you blog about? Right now, I've started um, blogging about my travels and kind of how both, like a lot of them are just literally what we did and the things that I saw and stuff like that, but also like how the experience impacted me, you know, emotionally or in my different drives for things. And I find travel to be exciting and therapeutic and just an experience I know not everyone loves, but I just can't stop doing it. (laughs) So where have you been? Oh, heavens. Uh, I have been to many places, uh, England, Ireland, uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Italy, Greece, Canada, Mexico. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's, that's it. it. That's yeah. like you're a seasoned world traveler. Well, I in <clears throat> Europe, yes. <laughs> seasoned European. Traveler? Yes, okay. yes. Right. Why? Why that area? Why? It's it's easy to get to. Um, uh, some of my travels have been solo travels, so. I, it's helpful if I know how to speak the language, English, uh, German. It, a lot of places in Europe, if you speak German, they'll, you know, be able to figure out what you're saying. In Italy, I have a very rudimentary knowledge of Spanish, and Spanish and Italian are very close. Some major differences, but enough where they can understand what I'm saying you know, and Spanish is very prevalent in Europe as well. I, in full disclosure, I did not go to Italy on my own. I went with the the school group to to go there, but I probably would not have gone on my own because it makes me a little uncomfortable if I don't know how to communicate yeah. well, and I don't want to be one of those Americans who can't speak the language and assumes everyone speaks English. So how does I guess how do you bring blogging? How does it impact you as as a writer uh, and a teacher as well? Well, I have definitely learned the importance of editing (laughs) and finding someone else to edit what I write because I personally am not, I don't have a good attention to detail. And if I have read something or written it myself, I often skip over the errors that I've made because my brain inserts the, the thing that is missing or the wrong, the right thing for the wrong thing that's written. And I have, you know, published blogs that have gone live with errors. And that's embarrassing as an English teacher to to have the wrong there on my blog. Um, but I often write, like I always describe it to my students, it's like emotional vomiting. Like I just get it out right really fast. And while that is good, I get a lot of information out all at once. It is bad in that my brain and my fingers don't always connect like, you know, like there, my brain thinks there and my fingers type the wrong there. <laughs> so using that, I guess when you have an editor in the, in, 
what do you have students do in your class? Do they do, do they peer editing? Do they do yes. Audio? And I was never a real big proponent of that early in my teaching because, you know, kids are often, they can be lazy and not really care about their fellow man <laughs> in peer edits. But it's just essential to writing because even a very, very good writer makes mistakes. Like it's just nobody's perfect. And it always is helpful to have a second eye. And like, I can read what I wrote in my head and know my inflection and and tone of voice, but someone else reading it might not know my brain. And therefore they would read it awkwardly or, you know, different than my intent. And so it's always good to have an outsider look at what you've written to make sure it makes sense to anyone, not just you. That makes sense. I always feel like when I read stuff that like, if it's like a book, and then there's a mistake that's like in my mind, I'm always like, oh, you made a mistake. You know, like you pick that out, even though that's one mistake out of well, 50,000 words or whatever. Uh-huh, it's weird. Uh-huh. But to have somebody else look at it and to put them in your shoes and vice versa and whatnot, that's so cool that you that you have them do that. Yes. <clears throat> I know that you're traveling a lot. But how do you remember your travels or do you have anything that um, that stands out to you that you somehow rem- I don't know how do you remind yourself I I am an obsessive journaler uh I journal all the time and I have boxes of journals from back to when I was very young my aunt gave me my first journal um right after a kind of difficult experience and she was like this will help you you should do this write things down and so I did and never stopped <laughs> so I mean, I probably have 50 or 60, you know, blank books that are filled with journals. So when I go to write the blogs, I will often pop the journal out so I can remember details that maybe have fallen out of my brain since then. And that's so cool. Like as you get older, like you could pass them on to someone Mm -hmm. or that's so neat. Yeah. Um, uh, One piece of advice that you would give to teachers wanting to try something new. Just to not be afraid to allow the students to help you learn things. I think as a new teacher, I was very afraid of that. I felt like I had to be the master of something before I did it with the kids. But so much now with technology, they're way better at it than I am. And I feel like instead of being embarrassed when I don't know something and a student brings some, well, you could do it this way, Miss Paradise, to embrace that and use that. Thank you so-and-so for teaching me that and would you mind teaching the class would you mind just standing up and saying a couple sentences and it becomes a teachable moment and I think it's important for students to to know that teachers also are learning like the learning doesn't stop when you graduate that adults have to also learn especially when it comes to technology (laughs) things that they grow up with and it's just you know, ingrained in them somehow, it often isn't with, you know, people of a certain age. Uh, and, and much the same, like things that I know, you know, I just know them. A lot of times my students don't know, and it helps me empathize with that situation a little bit more. Nice. Um, where can all the amazing people connect with you? Well, I have a Twitter that I use for school, and that is uh, Miss M.S. P. Dice. 
uh, on, on the Twitter. And my blog is ramblingsofparadise.com. Ramblingsofparadise.com. Also, uh, you mentioned school trips. Yes. Um, are, there, are there any of those coming up? Soon? Yes. This spring break, the, uh, the Gallivanters, that's the name of the travel group, is going to the French Riviera. Um, Italian Riviera. Shoot. I think it's the Italian Riviera. <laughs> They're going somewhere. They're going to a Riviera. <laughs> and I, I will not be going on that that trip. But um, Mrs. Scher and Ms. Bauer are taking a group there. This summer, uh, there's a group going with Mr. Schaefer and Mr. Anderson to New York. Then next spring break, so 2021, I will be going with a group to Scotland, which I'm very excited about because I've never been there. And Mrs. Ball is taking a group to Japan. That's a lot of trips. I know that whenever kids come back, they always talk about how amazing it was. And it looks like you guys have so much fun. It is absolutely phenomenal. And what I love about it is that even students that I didn't know or never get to have in class, because maybe they take Ivy Tech English their senior year, you get to know people on such a different level when you're traveling with them. And it's nice to see a non-school version of students sometimes, and probably it is refreshing for them to see a non-school version of their teachers. Now, a lot of times we're still very teacher-like, but we are also, you know, kind of chill too because it's fun to travel it's like that when you're seeing when you see students in walmart it's like you know like something like that where it's just like oh no they're you know yeah but that's creepy no this is fun though <laughs> it's a fun thing. all right well thanks so much for yeah. joining and giving your time and your prep period today and we've bounced around because of like uh snow yesterday and stuff and all this we'd have to change some stuff so thanks for working not a problem thank you for the invitation Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Feel free to like, share, subscribe for your imaginary bonus points. Thanks a lot.